he reigns forevermore. This morning we began a journey in the book of Malachi and I'll ask you to turn there. And in the book of Malachi, the year is about 450 BC. We reviewed Malachi's context and the burden of the Lord that came upon Malachi. And as we saw that Malachi had saw the people turning back and beginning to move in their old ways again that were leading them away from Christ. The word Malachi, some say is not really a name, but is really the word the messenger. Malachi means my messenger and his word in this particular book is fascinating to me because the word my messenger is used about 34 times throughout this book. God starts off his burden that he gives to Malachi by assuring the people, I have loved you. He said, I've loved you and you know that you're loved. Otherwise, you would have been like Esau. You'd have been like Eden and you would have been destroyed. He said, but I was have loved you and I've kept you. And he said, because I want my glory to be revealed throughout the borders of Israel. Appropriate response to God's love we find in Malachi chapter one. And then we find in verse number six, he says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I then am your father, where is my honor if I am your master? He says that the appropriate response to God's love is to honor him. The apostle Paul, uh, John lived longer than any of the other apostles. And one of the things he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, God's commandments are not grievous anymore. It's not the 300 some commandments that were written in the law anymore. Ceremonial commandments, moral commandments, ethical commandments, hygiene commandments, sacrificial commandments, festival and liturgical commandments. God's commandments have now been reduced to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus comes along and said, if that's too much for you, just do one thing. A new commandment I give unto you that you will love one another as I have loved you. First John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. God is always seeking our highest good all the time. Everything he does in our life or permits to hit our life is either doing a work to us or doing a work for us. He's working all things out together for good. For those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And part of our journey in the God is not only to learn how to obey him, but just to trust him. To trust him that he loves us and he's always seeking our highest good all the time. And when I trust you, I never have to be concerned about you. Every now and then I'll be at an airport or sometime in a public forum and somebody will come up to me and they'll say, hey, do you trust me? I say, I don't even know you. <laughs> then they'll usually go on and ask me for some money that they can give back to me on Friday or something. <laughs> you can only trust people that you know. But trust is unique because respect is given, but trust is earned. 
And trust means I never have to be concerned about you. Trust in man in the Bible is always limited, but trusting God is unlimited because the word says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge him. He should direct our path. God said, I've loved you. But then he asked the question, where is my honor? You see, the people this time, they have gotten tired and they begin to declare in Malachi 1.7 that the table of the Lord had become contemptible to them. Uh, they had offered defiled food on the table and they just said, we're just tired of coming to the table and getting fed and nurtured and ministered to it all the time. They had gotten out of 70 years of captivity and instead of bringing in pure lambs and sheep and turtle doves and bullocks, they begin to bring in in Malachi chapter 1-8 that we reviewed from this morning, that which was blind, that which was lame. And Malachi stands in the stead of God. He said, why don't you offer these leftovers to your governor and see if he'll receive that. He said, why don't you just go ahead and see if you offer it to your master, would he be pleased with this, says the Lord of hosts. Then he said, now you're entreating me for favor. He says, should I give you favor when I'm receiving this at your hand? And then in verse number 11, where we ended this morning, 111, he says, I want you to know I'm speaking a prophetic word. If you don't praise me, that from the rising of the sun, To the going down of the same. It says the name of the Lord shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name. Pure offerings. And my name shall be great among the nations. Says the Lord of hosts. God is still looking for pure worship. To come out of us. And I think that is critical that when we talk about pure worshiping coming out of us. God desires that that worship be pure out of a broken heart and undefiled. And when that pure worship comes up to the Lord, it becomes a sweet smelling odor in his nostrils. If you will direct your attention where he says, I want pure offerings to come from the nations to Exodus chapter 30 and verse 34, because in Exodus 30, 34, There's a passage of scripture here that is fascinating to me because in Exodus 34, God tells Moses, build me a house that I may come and dwell with my people. And when he tells them to build him a house, he says, I want you to build this house and I want it to have three chambers. First of all, build a fence around it and let there be a chamber to the east. So that everybody that looks up towards the rising of the sun will come in and worship. He said in the outer court, put down a golden altar where they will offer their sheep and their goats and their uh, their sheep and their bullocks and their pigeons and their turtle doves to me. He said behind a brazen altar where bloodshed and flesh is burned, put a laver where you can wash your hands and wash your feet and all the garments and all the vessels of the tabernacle could be washed. He said, put a a tent in the midst of that enclosure. And he said, in the first chamber shall be called the holy place. And the second chamber shall be called the most holy place. Inside of the holy place, let there be a lampstand. And that lampstand shall be symbolic of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and of knowledge, the spirit of counsel and of might. 
the spirit of understanding and the fear of the Lord, that seven prong candlestick should have oil lamps on top. And it had to be dressed every day because you and I know that you and I need to be refilled with the oil every day. If you leave old oil in your lamp, it'll start smelling and stinking and it'll run down, run out and burn out. So you have to be refilled with fresh oil for the burning of the light of the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives. He said, over on the other side, place a table of showbread. And this is what the priests were complaining about, that your bread and your table have become contemptible. He said, and on that table, place bread and let it be consumed on a weekly basis. But in front of them in Exodus 30, 34, he says, also build a golden altar. He says, unlike the altar in the outer court where flesh was burning and blood was being shed, I believe that when we come to worship, we should have dealt with our flesh on the outside. I'll be so glad when we come to church services where the preacher doesn't have to come up and deal with fleshly issues because everybody is taking care of their flesh in the outer court so that when we come into the most holy place, we can get on with this thing. And it's in the outer court that flesh is burning and it stinks because there's bloodshed and flame. And, and, uh, and you can hear the, the chirping of the birds and the bleeding of the sheep and the mooing of the cows as they were slaughtered before God. But in the most holy place, he said, it smells different in here. He said, because it's not the smell of the burning of flesh. But in, in, in Exodus 30, 34, the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, take sweet spices. In every place you'll offer pure offerings unto me. He said, bring the stacta and the anka and the galbanium and the frankincense. He says, with these sweet spices, there shall be an equal amount of ish and you shall make it of these incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure and holy. I believe even in the New Testament church, God still wants pure worship coming out of us. And that's what Malachi is after. Pure worship that comes out of the pure heart. And he said that pure worship, you need some of these elements. First of all, I'll take the stacta. The stacta was a gum rosin that ran out of a tree in Palestine. In fact, if you were walking through Palestine and you rubbed up against this tree, it was always oozing this sap out of it. You didn't have to cut it for the sap to ooze. It just was oozing all the time. And this oozing sap that came out, when it was taken and hardened and you mixed it together with fire, produced an aromatic flavor. God says, when you want pure worship and you want to bring it to me, listen, bring the stack. And I believe that there needs to be some people in all congregations that are just oozers. You don't have to pump them up to get something out of them. They're just going to ooze out. Uh, you don't have to be a cheerleader as a worship team to get something out of them. It just is always oozing out. You see, worship should be spontaneous and a response to God, not something that somebody has to work out of you. And there should be a spontaneity because all worship is, it should be a response to God. My, my, my Thanksgiving should be a response because I just understood the goodness of God. You know, even when you have a good meal, when you taste something good, some of us at the table still say, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and it ought to be just spontaneous that comes out of you. Our Thanksgiving is not just something that we do, but it's a response to God's goodness. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for his good. His mercy endures forever. Our praise is a response to his greatness. 
Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And if I was home at Ramah, I would say whenever the greatness of the Lord is declared and we just sing, my God is awesome. And one of those courses said, he's great. He's great. I tell our church, I say, when we say that God is great, we say nothing is too hard for him. Nothing is impossible with him. And we say that God is one of those that nothing is too hard for him. Nothing is impossible with him. Nothing is too difficult for him. And when I come into that revelation, even though my circumstance and condition hasn't changed, when I say, but God, you're still a great God. And I can begin to respond to his greatness. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is impossible with you. It's interesting that my faith begins to rise and leap and my spirit reaches up to that great God. And though my condition may be the same, though my circumstance may be the same, there's a spontaneity. I ooze out, God, you're great. Listen, my worship is a response to God's holiness. Be ye holy as I am holy. And there needs to be a spontaneity that comes when I recognize this holy, pure, and righteous God comes into our midst. You know, when God comes into our midst, I not only get a glimpse of him, but I get a glimpse of myself in light of who he is. You know, the brighter lights you walk in, the more you see the defilement in your own stuff. I remember one time going out to a television station and on the way out there, I hadn't eaten all day. I was going to do an interview that night. So I stopped to get me a sandwich and unbeknownst to me, when I was driving there, sandwich kind of dripped on my tie. When I got to the station, I went to the restroom and tried to clean up the tie the best I could. Thought I had it all cleared up. In the green room, it looked like it was all right. In the hallway, it looked like it was all right. But when I got under the bright camera lights, everybody just kept coming up doing this to the tie. (laughs) And I found out I looked all right in the hallway where it's a little dingy. I looked all right where there was mediocre light. But the brighter light I came into, the more I could see the stains in my life. When I come further into his holiness, I not only get a glimpse of him, but I also get a glimpse of myself. But I understand I'm in the presence of a one that though he knows my spots, he still chooses to use me. You see, he looks beyond my thoughts and he sees my need and he sees I'm in need of redemption. And you know, all of these vessel pieces that were in the tabernacle that were even used at this golden altar, they were hammered out by men, whether they were gold or shittim wood or whether they were silver, they were all hammered out by men. And you know, if man hammers out anything, it still has a few flaws in it. So you know what God did? Though it was flawed, he said, I still need to use you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cover you. And everything had to be sprinkled with blood. And he said, and when I look at these, even these flawed vessels, I see the blood, not the flaw. Somebody say, thank God for the blood. And the stack is my spontaneity when I think about who he is and who I am in light of who he is. But I can also thank him for the blood. I like stack the people, people that are spontaneous and just ooze all the time. Sometimes you have them bless your food at a meal at a family gathering. We had Thanksgiving dinner and had one of our good friends over and he's always got the stack to working all the time. So he said, Hey man, you're a guest at Thanksgiving. Why don't you bless the food? And he got up and said, God, I just want to thank you 
for letting me be here with this family. And then he said, I want to thank you for this turkey and this dressing, this macaroni and cheese and gravy, dressing, sweet potatoes, green beans that you have prepared for us. And then he said, oh, God, I just want to also thank you that you saved me. And then he said, ah, hallelujah. I said, "Uh uh-oh. Cause the stack started working. He said, God, I was a drug addict and I wouldn't have been at a table like this. But oh, God, you saved me. Oh, God, you redeemed me. And I just want to take a moment before we touch some turkey. And I'm thinking the food's getting cold, man. Come on. But the stack does working. He said, I want to thank you that I wouldn't be at this table. I could be homeless, but you saved me. You redeemed me. You brought me out of darkness into the marvelous light. And the stack that got working. And he said, the Lord, while I'm praying for this, I want to pray for folks that don't have no food. I said, brother, it's getting ice cold. Come on. But the stacta is working. The spontaneity is working. And when he got finished praying, we all said, amen. But he was having his moment with God. And as he had his moment with God, it was interesting when you keep stacked the people around you, spontaneity around you, people that are always lose. You just get caught up after a while. I found myself saying, amen, pray, brother, pray. <laughs> and friends, he says, when you want to have this sweet incense, let it be spontaneous. Don't list, miss many moments, small things that you can give thanksgiving to God. Because sometimes as a worshiper, pure worship, we miss opportunities for small praise and worship conferences between us and God. I remember one day just going out and sitting in my car. Started the car, I pulled it outside the garage, hit the garage door, opened the garage door, went out. Just set my driveway for a moment. And just had a moment of spontaneity stacked. I said, thank you, Lord. I said, I want to thank you. I said, I remember at one time we had a one car garage and my car had to be parked outside in the snow and I always gave the garage to Teresa so she could come out and get in a warm car. I said, now I got a two car garage. I can put my car in. Oh, somebody said, amen. All right. (laughs) Now I got a two car garage. I said, God, I want to thank you. And here's what I thank the Lord for. I said, I want to thank you that this car starts every time I turn the key the first time. Because, see, I used to have a car that had cancer, tuberculosis. It, had, it was HIV positive. It was leaking green stuff in the front, red stuff in the back. And when you turned the key, it would grunt. And I said, God, I want to just thank you that I have a car that starts. That I know that by your grace, it's going to take me where I want to go and bring me back. And sometimes we miss little moments. Where we can give pure worship and offer pure incense unto God. Take the stacta and offer it up your spontaneity. And it's all right when somebody tells you it's a double off coupon at the store. That's a time for Thanksgiving. When somebody gives you a free gift and a gift card, that's a time for Thanksgiving. And friends, don't miss those many moments, small things. That we can give thanksgiving for. He says not only take the stacta, but 30, 34 of Exodus says take the anka. The anka was actually a shellfish that came from the depth of the ocean. They found out something that when they pulled it up and dried it off, they could actually crush it. And when it was put on the fire, 
it produced a sweet aromatic fragrance. I've discovered something about pure worship. My height in worship can go no higher than my depth in worship for this shellfish was a bottom dweller. And, and you have to develop some roots in God and some depth in God for my worship to rise high in God. Depth in God is founded and it is developed by time alone with God. It's developed by time with him. Quiet times when no one's around where you can sit and meditate on the word. I understand from testimony and from reading that Jesus Christ appeared to Kenneth Hagin about five times in his life. But one day the Lord came to him and said, Kenneth, this will be the last time I appear to you in this way. From now on, you're going to have to hear from me like everyone does through the spirit. And he began to say, and I begin to receive more revelation by quiet meditation on the Lord than I ever received from the visitations I had from the Lord. And I believe that depth in God is built when you and I take a scripture like the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I just take a moment and meditate the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I take some time and I meditate. The Lord is my shepherd. Not was, not will be, but is. My shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my. I know he's everybody else's shepherd. But the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I take some time and I meditate. The Lord is my shepherd. He protects me from the wolf, the bear, and the lion. He has my best interest in mind. If I get lost, I know he's seeking for me. When he finds me, I know he's going to carry me back to the safe place. I know he's going to get those bugs out of my head and he's going to anoint my head with oil. My cup's going to be running over. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because he is my shepherd. He shall supply all my needs. You see, the sheep doesn't really have to provide anything for themselves except for followership. He provides leadership. The sheep provide followership. And I think there's a lot of books being written, Pastor John, on leadership. We need to write some books on followership. Because most of us don't get in trouble when we're following the Lord is when we try to take the lead in our own lives. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He provides all my needs. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. That means that if he makes me, I must not want to. And you know, most of us would run our lives seven days a week, 24 hours a day, never rest. And so he just makes us lie down in green pastures. He does like he said in the book of Mark early in those chapters where he was so busy and he was so busy, he didn't even have time to eat. And he says, go away. Let's come away to a desert place and rest for a while. Look at your neighbor and say, you need some rest. Oh, you're whispering. Go ahead. Tell them you need some rest. Some of us, in the, we've gotten caught up in the American dream and we just run, 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 and we need the rest. And every now and then, you ought to just remember the largest commandment as we meditate on our depth in the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day to make it holy. For in six days, God created everything. And then he ceased from his own labor and he rested. Listen, if God who needs no rest took a day off, look at your neighbor, help me preach. Tell him what's wrong with you. If he took a day off and he never leaves rest, what's wrong with you? 
Every one of us need to take some time and pull away and rest. You know why we have mean Christians? Because when you get tired, everything gets on your last nerve. Not just your nerve. In urban areas, we say your last nerve. And friends, he makes me to lie down in green pasture. I think that as you meditate and you get the idea on just little phrases, I call it meditating on the commas. Read a thought and then meditate. Meditate on the words. My worship rises no higher than my depth in God. And friends, he says, there needs to be some depth and depth in God is spent by time alone with him. Reading maintains freshness. Read some classics every now and then. Read some of the contemporary writings, but above all, read his word. Read his word. Read the story and accounts that are in his word because it builds depth in God because it helps us to know how God treats people when they are in trouble, how God treats people when they go crazy, how God treats people when they make bad decisions, how God wants to treat people and bring many people to glory. He wants to bring many sons to glory, says Hebrews chapter 2.10. We need to bring our Anka to the Lord. He said, bring your Galbanium to the Lord. The Galbanium was a bush that grew in Palestine. And the only way that you could get the fragrance out of this one, out of Exodus 30, 34, is you had to cut off a branch and you had to dry it out. Once you dried it out, then you begin to just grind it up. And once it was ground into a fine powder, having been cut off from its source, having been ground up, and then having been dried out and then ground up, then you could put it on the fire and it produces an aromatic fragrance. Galbanium is kind of fascinating because it's only out of its crushing and its stripping that this fragrance of worship came out. Sometimes you wonder what you're going through. Could it be that sometimes we go through what we're going through? So that God can get another kind of smell in the worship. And it also tells me that when you are going through tough times and circumstances and conditions, that's not the time to avoid the worship experience. That's the time when we need your galbanium in the worship experience. Because there's not only those that are spontaneous because they're winning and something joyful and celebrative that's happened, but there are also those among us that are broken. I just had a loss. I just had a trauma. I just had a tragedy. And that's the time I need to press in because in the midst of our corporate incense, I need those tears. We need to hear those groans. We need to have that fragrance of worship in the midst of us. When Job went through his dilemma is a good case study. After he lost his businesses, he lost his cattle, his sheep. He lost his oxen and his donkeys. He lost his daughters and his son. It says, and Job, when he heard all of this bad news, it said he shaved his head. He put on a garment and he bowed to the ground and he worshiped. Sometimes when you're going through loss, it's tough. But I've heard some old evangelicals and some old Pentecostals that say things like, Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No other help I know. 
If you withdraw yourself from me, or whether shall I go? I come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in my time of need. God, I'm in need. It's me. It's me. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I'm not only needing prayer to pray to you, but I'm in need, Lord, for you to send somebody to pray for me. And you know what? Job lifted up a worship to God. Job didn't go through his dilemma all untarnished, but he least he knew this. He said, naked I came into this world and naked I will leave. Job didn't know about Satan. And when I read the book, all he knew about was him and God. And Job said, the Lord gave and the Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He just kind of resolved all this stuff is his and he can do with it what he wants. And God says about Job and all this, Job did not sin. That's God's opinion of Job. We have made Job out to be a bad guy. Job said things like, I know my redeemer lived. Job maintained hope. Even though it was looking pretty bad, Job maintained the hope. I know my redeemer lives. I'm going to see him in the last day. And though worms eat up my flesh, I know I will stand and I shall see him with my own eyes. Job said, all the days of my life, I will wait till my change come. And Job maintained a worshipable attitude until after he talked with God, he was so worshipable that even in the midst of his pain, his accusers were sitting in front of him. He even gave intercession for his accusers. And then God turned the captivity of Job. And friends, we need some galbanium there sometime when I've had to do funerals where there's been tragedy in our church. And I didn't want to be there. The family didn't want to be there. We would all want to be in denial. We wish we could stop that tape, put it on pause and go back to the car ride before the accident. We watch, wish we could punch the tape and go back to the dilemma before the bullet flew and somebody got shot. We wish we could punch the tape and go back before the diagnosis came from the doctor and it was an aggressive cancer that took somebody else. But what we've learned to do as a church is bring our Anka to the, to the table, our depth in God, and then bring our galbanium, our brokenness. I found out a different kind of worship comes out of me. When I worship God with my brokenness. Because when I worship God out of my brokenness, tears begin to come. And in their tears, there's a little bit of salt to remind me of my salt covenant with God. I remind me that when I read classics on prayer, they say God can interpret your posture. Your tears speak to him. Your words speak to him. Your posture speaks to him. All of those things offer up as a pure worship unto God. I need to bring the stack of the Anka, the Galbanium, and the frankincense. And the frankincense is a typology of Jesus Christ. We need to put Jesus in the midst of it because spontaneity without Jesus isn't anything. There's a lot of spontaneity at, at, at a public concert. But if you don't put Jesus in the midst, it's not worship. Listen, there can be depth in a public concert, but if Jesus is in the midst of it, it's not worship. There are even broken people to go to public concert just to get a relief. I need to laugh. I need to smile. I need to do something. But if you don't put Jesus in the midst of it, it's not worship. He said, bring all these spices, make it pure, blend it together with salt. And he said, and it will be a pure fragrance unto me. And in Malachi 1.11 
He said, the day is coming that these kind of incense will be offered every place unto me, an incense of pure offering. Now turn back to Malachi as we understand the offering that he wants to bring up. Because he said, when you put it on the fire, it shall produce this aroma, this aromatic fragrance unto God. And friends, out of my spontaneity, out of my depth, out of my brokenness, and out of me just focusing and looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, I never want to get into withdrawing from God by profane worship. And in Malachi chapter 1, and then if you'll look with me in verse number 12, Let's take a few moments and it says, but you profane it. He's talking about the altar of God and the pure workers of God in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled. And he says in the fruit, the produce from God's table and it's food, the bread of his word is contemptible. You say, you see many times when you and I start taking for granted the very worship of God, we can begin to just defile it. And let me tell you how we defile the worship. We lower the standard. Because your character is a part of your worship before God. And we can't lower the standard. We must, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We lower the standard of integrity that who people think I am and who I really am are consistent. Integrity speaks of integer, it's a one number, it's a wholeness. And I want to make sure that who people believe I am, and that's who I really am, that's integrity. We lower the standard because people can treat their family anywhere. But if they got a good voice, they can grab a mic and sing. And friends, we lower the standard. We lower the standard when we don't treat each other right in our marriages. Malachi will go on and talk about how marriage is important to pure worship because it represents the very covenant of God. And he says, and you also say, oh, what a weariness. I'm tired. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 13 says, oh, bring, you bring the stolen and the lame and the sick. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what is stolen offerings? And God said, when people are not intimate with me, all they can do is look around and see what somebody else is doing and try to steal their worship. Now, when you're a child, imitation may be fun. I remember my kids, because they were in our church all of their lives. My oldest son was in our former Baptist church with us when we made the transition to Raymond Christian Center. My daughter was there just a few years, and then we came to Raymond Christian Center and started our church maybe one year after her birth. My youngest son, this is the church that he's known, our church. But because they knew our church, they would see us do spiritual things, lay hands on the sick. They would see people fall out. So they had a way of imitating us. They had a little drum set down in the basement, little piano. And, uh, and, and Jonathan would, uh, you know, Yolanda would be playing the piano and, and, and Chris would be down there goofing off with them. And, and, and then it would be time for prayer. And one time they were having church and I was just so proud our kids are just imitating us and a big fight broke out. And I said, what are y'all fussing about? You're supposed to be having church. And, 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 and uh, Yolanda said, when Jonathan put his hands on me, I fell down. But I put my hands on him and Jonathan won't fall. <laughs> and they just believed that it was imitation. And when you're a child, that may be the way that you learn. But there ought to come a point in time where you have your own unique expression and praise. 
to the Lord. I don't have to look at you and, and I don't have any tongues because I haven't been speaking in tongues for a while. So I hear you say, Shandai. So now I'm over here, Shandai, Shandai, Shandai. Warsu guy. Bowtie. Bubba Baha'i. And I have to make up stuff because I heard somebody else say it. I start making up dances because I see somebody else do it. Because people that are enjoying Jesus, maybe they're jumping up and down. So I start jumping up and down. And I bring in what's stolen rather than that which is coming from a pure heart. I never, I never have been a dancer. I like to move, but I never have been a dancer. I was always a vocalist or instrumentalist in the bands that we played for. Never learned how to dance. Not really that coordinated. My family stops me when I try. <laughs> Lots of encouragement on that end. Praise, <laughs> praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But there are some people that just dance and it's their expression very naturally with God. I know I can lift up my voice and I know how to harmonize, so I know I can sing and that's natural to me. Friends, you don't have to steal anything from anybody in your worship. No, God's looking for a sincere, pure heart. I found out that there are some people that are running up and down the house and that's pure worship to them. If you can't run, don't get convicted and don't try to imitate. The only thing I require for our runners in our church is open your eyes. (laughs) Only requirement. Don't need you running into stuff, knocking over folk. Open your eyes. You're not spiritual because you're running with your eyes closed. Open your eyes. Only requirement. But if you feel like running, run. And I found out some other people experience God in the run, and I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. But you know what? I found some others can sit in their seat and experience God, and it's all right. They don't have to be jumping and running. and do, They're just sitting there just saying, oh, God is here. I have a friend that's one of my pastoral friends, Martin Smith, and Martin comes from a very stoic family, unemotional. I remember one time the, 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 the service was much like it was tonight. It was, it was on the edge. You know, we didn't know what was going to happen. And, and the Holy Ghost broke out. We got into one of those Pentecostal dances. We was in there dancing. And Martin, his, 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 his family is stoic. And Martin just went. Ooh. And at the end of the service, I said, Martin, did, did you enjoy the praise and worship? He said, did you see me go? And I said, yeah. He said, that's high praise for me. (laughs) You don't have to steal anybody's stuff. Just be you. For him in a pure worship, your stacta, your anka, your galbanium, your frankincense. And he said, but you brought in that which is in verse 13, stolen and lame and sick. Thus you bring an offering to me. Shall I accept this by your hand? Says the Lord, cursed is every deceiver who has in his flock a male and who takes a vow but sacrifices to the Lord that which is blemished. Here's the dilemma. They had come back into the land. They had been poor as slaves and as servants in Babylon for 70 years. And now they start getting a little stuff. And they really had it in their capacity to do something. But they started holding back the best and bringing in the cheap stuff. You and I who have been around the kingdom a while know that God was looking for that which was pure and the best and the first. And he said, you had it in your capacity to bring in the best of your flock, but you took a vow to do so, but then you brought in that which is of blemish. Then he says in verse 14, God gives us self-disclosure for I am a great king, says the Lord. 
and my name is to be feared among the nation. You see, here's the problem in chapter two and verse number one. See, chapter two, verse number one, it says, oh, now, O priest, and now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. I have cursed them already because you did not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants. Those are the priests that will follow and will spread. Listen to this refuge on your faces and refuge on your solemn feasts. And one will take you away with it. And in 70 AD, that actually happened when they rejected the Messiah. After those 400 years of change, they substituted religion for relationship with God. 400 years of silence after the book of Malachi. John the Baptist says, repent, prepare you the way of the Lord. The Lord's coming. Make way for the kingdom of God is at hand. And they would not turn. And a curse came. On them, And then their descendants were taken away historically 70 AD when Jerusalem fell. Listen to me. A curse means trauma, calamity, harm and danger that comes upon a person. Trauma, calamity, harm and danger. Curses is a kind of interesting word because curses usually emerge from the invisible realm of the spirit and then manifest into the realm of the natural curses. They come from the invisible realm of the spirit. And then they manifest in the realm of a natural. Curses just don't come with their full weight upon us suddenly. They come in gradually, but before you know it, more calamity, more trauma, more danger, more hurt, more pain begins to come. And pretty soon people recognize I'm under a curse. Proverbs teaches us a curse causeless will bring no harm. God tells Abraham, I will bless those that bless you. And curse those that curse you. But God says, if you will not worship me right and take heart to what I say when I bring a warning and try to clean the dust off of your worship. He tells these priests who were the worship leaders. He said that I'm going to let these calamities come on you. And what God is after, he wants to get their attention. He tells them in the gospels, your city will be left desolate until you can say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. You see, that's what's happening around the world now because we limited women in ministry and ministry just really began to become non-effective because, you see, even in God's house, you can't have a single-parent house. Both men and women need to be able to participate in the work of the ministry. And sometimes I think gender bias in the church is worse than racial bias in the church. And God wants to get everybody on the field, if it wasn't for Esther, Israel would not have been preserved. Ruth shows up in the lineage of Jesus. Listen, there was a little woman that was as tough as nails in the Old Testament. Her name was Deborah. She had a friend named Sisera, and they took a dude, man, that was threatening the whole nation. Got together and plotted, gave him some cheese and some bread, got him in a tent, and drove a tent peg through his head. Them some bad sisters. put him to sleep with some warm milk and said, what? <laughs> Y'all to read the Bible, some fascinating stuff in here. Read it, read it. And friends, when we don't heed God and celebrate him, 
with a pure heart. Then he says, this calamity comes. Verse number four, chapter two goes on to say this. And he says, and you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue. God wanted a pure Levitical worship. He wanted purity in the worship team. And I'm telling you that the worship team is not those that lead worship on instruments and with vocals. The worship department is everyone from the parking lot to the platform, including the congregation. God wants pure worship because we are kingdom of priests now. We are a royal priesthood. It's not just special folk. They have special skills and talents that they've lended to the Lord. But friends, it's all of us. And friends, he said, I want to maintain my covenant with Levi, says the Lord. My covenant was with him, one of life. God told Levi, if you'll join yourself to the priest, he said, I'm going to give you a covenant of life and peace. And I will give them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me. And I was referent before my name and was referent before my name. And the law of truth was in his mouth. This was Levi when he started. And injustice was not found on his lip. And he walked with me in peace and in equity and turned many away from iniquity. You see, that's what priests ought to do. For those of us who are worship and dare come out of our houses on Sunday morning and then Sunday night and Monday night and Tuesday night, when people see you carry your Bible out of the house and when they see your car driving towards Faith Christian Center, let's make sure that they know that inside those cars are people that reverence his name, people that keep truth on their lips, people that injustice is far from our lips, people that walk in peace and equity with God, people that turn many away from iniquity. Verse number seven, as we begin to now come to our close watches for the lips of the priest should keep knowledge. Friends, one of my concern is the lack of biblical knowledge among God's saints these days. If you ever have a chance to read some of these polls that come out like by the Pew Foundation. And by others like Barna and uh, Tom Rayner, who's a Southern Baptist uh, theologian and Southern uh, statistician for the kingdom of God. It is scary what people believe. Do you know that significant amount of people in our kingdom don't believe in a virgin birth anymore? Significant amount of people in our kingdom don't believe in creation, a seven-day creation of the earth. They try to mix evolutionary thought with the creation and divine design. No significant amount of people don't believe that this is the divine word of God. They believe that it's folklore, oral tradition. And they believe that it's been rewritten and, and, uh, and their heirs in and they don't know how to defend their faith. A significant amount of people in our kingdom do no longer believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but by him. See, a priest's lips ought to keep knowledge. And if anybody wants to know what's going on with God and what does the Bible mean, they should be able not only to come to the preacher but to the people. Because we're a company of priests. And for my priests, for my lips to keep knowledge, that means I need to be a part of some of these life groups. I need to be a part of some of these classes for discipleship purposes so that when the contemporary issues and old issues come up, I can give knowledge to people. Sometime I'm in public forums and they say, well, preacher, what do you think about that? I said, when you're part of a government, your thoughts are dangerous. I said, I'm part of a government called the kingdom of God. And I said, my opinion doesn't matter. It's what's in my constitution that matters. 
See, I work for a government called the kingdom of God, and I got to tell people what's in the Constitution. Not my thought. A priest lives ought to keep knowledge, and the people should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of God. But you have departed from the way, and you have caused many to stumble from the law. Listen to me as I close tonight. When you and I as priests don't keep knowledge, we cause other people to go astray. In our state of Ohio, an amendment came around for same-sex marriages. We voted it down. Now, you know, through judicial action, they're trying to override what states have put in place because our state said no. And so the LBGTQ community determined that they were going to have some public forums to get momentum towards repealing that action or overriding it. And I stepped up in the forum. I went to the forum. First of all, I wanted to know what they was talking about. And so I went up in there. And when I was in there, I started noticing a little buzz around me. And finally, somebody came and sat down next to me. And they leaned over and they said, aren't you a reverend? And I said, yes. Said, aren't you a preacher? Don't you pastor in this city? And I said, yeah. They said, what are you doing in here? And I said, uh, I'm here to see what y'all talking about. I said, because we're going to read in Malachi tomorrow night that, that God said marriage is his holy institution. That's what God calls it. And I said, I want to see what y'all get ready to do with God's holy institution. And they started saying all kind of stuff. And I stood up and they said, are there any questions or comments? I said, I would like to make a comment. And I said, how are you going to change 4,000 years of history? How are you going to change uh, what has worked for us all this time? And what are you going to put in this place if you change it? And then I started saying, I'm a minister and my faith dictates me that I cannot stand together with you. And the moderator got up and said, now, wait a minute, Reverend. He said, we're not going to tolerate hate speech and homophobic talk up in this place. And I said, wait a minute, I ain't homophobic. I said, a phobia is a fear and I ain't scared of you. I ain't scared of none of y'all up in here. So I'm not homophobic. I ain't scared of you. I said, I just don't agree. So they told me my time was up. Other people chimed in. And over the next two months, three people, four people out of that forum came to see me. One woman and three men. The priest's lips ought to keep knowledge. When they came into my office and they said, I said, I always pray and I say, how may I serve you? And they said, I saw you at the LBGTQ conference that we have. Lesbians, gays, bisexuals, transvestites, and queers. They added the Q, not me. I say that so that this church don't get in trouble. They added it, not me. I just came to the forum. And three men and one woman came to talk to me. You know what they said? All of them said, I'm leaning towards a homosexual, gay, or lesbian lifestyle. And here's what they said. But I'm conflicted because I want to inherit the kingdom of God. That's what they told me. I'm in co- I, then I asked them the question, are you practicing? No, but I'm leaning that way. Because, you know, some of our schools are now starting to tell little three, five-year-old kids. That, that little boys, when they're hanging out with boys, well, you must be a homosexual because you like boys. 
All little boys like little boys. All little girls like little boys. All of us are clannish when we're little. Little boys like little boys when they're little boys because they know girls got cooties. Don't let them touch them. Don't want your germs. But then as testosterone kicks in and estrogen and progesterone kicks in, you begin to now relate to the opposite sex and these guys came in and said, I'm not practicing, and so did the lady, but they've been telling me this, and I'm leaning towards it. I said, why did you come to me? They said, well, I went and talked to my peers, and this is what they said, and my peers confirmed everything I'm feeling. One man told me, I went and talked to an openly gay priest. He said he told me everything I wanted to hear and even pointed out some scriptures to me. And my question again was, why did you come to me? And they said, we came to you because we knew you would tell us the truth. And I found out if you'll speak the truth in love. And I said, if you want the truth, let's start. And I started in Matthew 19 where they asked Jesus, can a man divorce his wife for anything? And Jesus said, have you not read? In the beginning, he made them male and female. I said, let's go back to the beginning. And we read Genesis 1 and 2. We walked through the law where God gave prohibitions and permission on marriage and who you could be with and when you could be with them and what you could do when you were with them and consequences if you did violation of that. We went through the prophets and saw what the prophets had to say. We went through the gospels and saw what the gospels had to say. We went through the epistles and saw what the epistles had to say. We wound up in the book of the revelation where he says, and anybody who engages in these activities shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And I had three of the four leave my office and said, so if I want to inherit the kingdom of God, I cannot engage in this activity. I said, is that your conclusion? They said, yes, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I said, that's between you and God. A priest's lips ought to keep knowledge. And I believe that if we'll be willing to show up and engage in the public debate, there are Nicodemuses out there. They may not come to you in the public forum. But they'll find your number, your email, your website, and they'll come to you by night. They may not come to you openly on your job, but they'll find you at break time and at lunchtime and say, can we get over in a corner? Can we just talk about this? Because I know you're a believer. And what does God really say? See, our true worship is not just our song in a sanctuary, but it's the knowledge that we give out in our community. And I considered each one of those a worship experience with God because I was bringing them into an encounter with the living God. The priest's lips ought to keep knowledge and my people should seek knowledge at his lips for the messenger of the Lord. But you have departed from the way and caused many to stumble. Lord, have mercy on those priests and ministers who are telling people you could stay this way and still inherit the kingdom of God. Lord, have mercy. I'm praying right now for those churches that are starting around this issue and saying that you could be this and practice this and still inherit the kingdom of God. Lord, have mercy on them. And Holy Spirit, come in and convict priests and people. In Jesus' name. You have corrupted the covenant of the Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore... I have made you contemptible and base before all the people because you have not kept the way, my ways, and have not, and you have shown partiality in my laws. Pastor Ray, you can come now because when he says show partiality, and I close now because what was happening in Israel at this time, people were choosing to obey God in certain laws. 
and disobey him in others. I'll go to church, but I won't worship. I'll worship, but I'll not give myself in service. I'll serve, but I'll not tithe. I'll come to church, but I'll not be a witness in the community. I'll talk the truth between other Christians, but when a sinner that's a seeker comes to me looking for truth, because I don't want to get involved in controversy and argument, I'll just be quiet. And you know what? Their worship got defiled because they started showing partiality in their law. They would do this, but they wouldn't do that. And yet God knew, and this is the rebuke, and this is the dust that needs to clean off. Because God chastens him because he said, but you had it in your capacity to do it. You had it in your capacity to offer pure worship, but you did not. You had it in your capacity to tell people the truth in love, but you did not. Because you didn't want to be put on the list. I know that our church is marked in our city. Because the word is out in the LBGTQ community. If you go up to that Raymond Christian Center, you better be ready for them. Because they have already put it out there. And I already told them I don't give hate speech and I'm not homophobic, but it's out there. One lady said, can I come to your church? Will you treat me with respect? And I said, now I'll treat you with respect. I said, now I can't make any guarantees on my people. Because I have some people with some real discernment in my church. I got some old Pentecostal mothers that always carry their oil with them. And when they discern something, they ain't afraid to get you down on an altar. Want to be beaten in your ear with a tamarind on one day, on one side saying, looser, looser, looser. And want to be saying, let go, let go, let go. Maybe we need some of that in the church again. Because I know some old Pentecostal mothers and daddies who used to do more in an altar with some oil on the tamarind. And when that person got up, they had the victory than we do by a year in the counseling chambers. So I tell them, I said, now I'll treat you with respect, but I can't guarantee my members. I said, because some of them have discernment. And I said, I would trust that they would treat everybody with respect and with love, but I can't make no guarantees. I guess it depends on how you roll up in there. (laughs) So I know that we're Mark John in, in our city. Because we're a church that speaks truth. It's on the radio. It's on television periodically. And I know that. But I'd rather stand with that group that is marked for speaking truth. Marked for true worship. Because there's been time before I even had a chance to preach. We get caught up like we did tonight in worship. And we get caught up and I just sense right after the worship it's time to give the altar call. And I haven't preached and done anything. And I see them coming coming down to the altar and I say you're struggling aren't you and somebody will say yes and I said we have people that are going to treat you in a very respectful loving way and I'll send them out with the personal workers and I haven't even preached because if you and I will give real worship to God you know what God will drop down in a conspicuous way and when he comes in we not only see him but we see ourselves 
in light of who he is. I don't have to lay hands on them. I don't have to cast nothing out of them. They come to that altar, tear running down there. I say, I need to change in my life. I'm in a gang and I need to get out of that. I'm involved in human trafficking. I'm being victimized. I need to get out of it. I'm engaged in a health, unhealthy relationship. A lady came to our altar a few years ago, a few weeks ago. And when she came up, God said, tell her that I'm going to cut every attachment that's unholy and unhealthy off of her. And I went around her with my hand and I said, think, just think about me having a sword in my hand. And I started saying, and God is going to cut every attachment off your life that's unholy. That woman started spinning around and jumping around and started jumping and shouting. She went out of that sanctuary free and I hadn't even preached because of the presence of God. No telling what can happen at Faith Christian Center. If we bring our stacta, our anka, our galbanium and our frankincense, our incense unto him. Put Jesus in the midst of us. Come with a pure heart and come with wisdom on our lips. God will send Rhode Island. He'll send Massachusetts. He'll send, this is already a regional church. He'll send them from the north, south, east, and west. And he'll prepare you for ministry so that wisdom is on your lips. So when they come in, you won't have to find the pastoral staff. You'll say, come here, honey, sit down, let's minister. You'll say, come here, brother, sit down, let's minister. And you know what excites me? The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Because the warfare we're getting ready to enter into, we're going to need all hands on deck. We're going to need the young people on deck. We're going to need the old folks on deck. We're going to need worshipers and ushers on deck. We're going to need parking lot attendants on deck. Everybody needs to have some oil on them. And everybody's going to have to be ready to minister. I want you to bow your head and we're just going to pray and minister to the Lord for a moment here. In the name of Jesus. Father, we just thank you for our time together tonight in Jesus' name. And Father, we talked about, he said that, that it shall come to be that it shall come to pass, and my name shall be great among the Gentiles. That's what you said, Lord. And in every place, incense shall be offered in your name, a pure offering. Father, that incense shall be a pure offering unto you in your name. And Father, we see that the priest's lips ought to keep wisdom today. And Father, we thank you for all this place. Father, we sang a song earlier today. Fill this place with the praise of the God of all grace. Be glorified, lifted high, you ancient days. All ye saints, lift your voice. Lift your hands and rejoice. God is here. God, our petition, fill this place with praise. Thank you, Lord. Father, that's our prayer for Faith Christian Center. That you'll feel this place. Be lifted high. Be glorified. Ancient of days, you are the God that was, that is, and that is to come. Father, when the saints of God come in here, don't let the first word of praise for the weak come out of their mouth in the sanctuary. Let it come out of their mouth every day and on their way. And then we'll blend our voices together and you'll drop down in the midst of us in a conspicuous way and say, I like it. I'm welcome here. In your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand. It's pleasure forevermore. Fill this place with praise. Thank you, Lord God. 
Fill this place with praise. Praise will silence the enemy and out of the mouth of babes and sucklings. Have you perfected praise to silence the enemy? And I thank you that the voice of the enemy in our heads and in our community will be silenced as we praise you. Fill this place, oh Lord God. To the God of all grace, all kind of activity you do in our life. For this, we appreciate you, sir. Gracias, Señor. We thank you. Thank you, Lord. You are holy, 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 santo, santo, santo. We exalt you. We praise you, O Lord. And when we come into your holiness, we see ourselves in light of who you are. You're here, Lord. Feel this place. Feel this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 